Hey everyone, this is Crystal. I feel like I've been saying this a lot lately, but our latest episode ran a little long. It clocked in at about two hours, so we have decided to also split this one into two parts. So here's chapter 11, part one, and stay tuned for part two in a couple of weeks. Enjoy! Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Harry Potter Book Club. I'm Trevor. I'm Vera. I'm Alex. I'm Crystal. I'm Matt. We are meeting once again via Zoom uh, to pick up with Chapter 10 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets before we get into our discussion on uh, this wonderful chapter of the second book in the Harry Potter canon. Let me remind you, you can always reach out to us. Um, on Twitter or Instagram at HPBC Podcast, or you can email us with questions or comments at hpbcfanmail at gmail.com. We get a lot of spam. We haven't had a lot of questions lately, and we would love to hear your interactions. We've, we've noticed that there have been plenty of downloads all across the world. Please know that we're always ready and willing to hear from listeners. Uh, and if uh, your question or comment piques our interest and get, gets the wheels turning in our heads, we will happily uh, send it out to others uh, on an upcoming episode of the podcast. With that, let's turn to chapter 10, The Rogue Bludger. Well, I loved these first few scenes with Professor Lockhart and Harry, um, where Lockhart is forcing Harry to reenact some of the more dramatic bits of his book. And uh, one of the first things that kind of struck me was um, where he, he being Lockhart says, there was a Transylvanian villager, villager whom Lockhart had cure of a babbling curse. And I thought to me, it struck me as one of those things that could be possible in the muggle world. Um, we've probably all met someone who talks too much. And I wondered, could this be like, a wizard has put a spell on a muggle who talks too much. Alex is feeling uh, personally attacked right now. <laughs> no, that was not why I made that face. Curse on you, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, that's well, what it, a babbling curse that... is, right? Somebody who babbles a lot, I'm guessing. I guess so. I don't know what else it would be. Makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Um, I... I not thinking that this was a personal attack. Okay. Um, my impression when you said that, Crystal, was that Lockhart had met some poor, hyper-talkative individual and presumed they had a babbling curse because they just would not stop talking. <laughs> and so administered some kind of cure, quote-unquote, to this person. And I imagined, in light of everything else that's going to happen in this chapter, my goodness... That poor person probably sure. never spoke again. Probably never spoke again. <laughs> well, I think the one thing we can like rest assured knowing is that Lockhart didn't do this anyway. It was him taking credit for someone else's work. So likely whoever did identify this Transylvanian villager did confirm that they had a babbling curse put on them. Yeah. I hope. I hope too. Yeah. Mm. So this, this, particular lesson uh he's got harry acting as a werewolf 
And as I was reading this, I was just wondering, do you guys think that JK already knew that Lupin was going to be Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher next year? Because it just seems it just seems a little bit coincidental to me to have this, you know, comical portrayal of a werewolf being like defeated by Lockhart in a Defense Against the Dark Arts class. And then next year we're going to meet a very sympathetic werewolf. I would say maybe, but she talks about all other walks of mythical creature life, like vampire and yeti and werewolf and vampire. All those things just kind of fit together. So I'm not sure. The question it raised for me was, is is this homorphous charm real? I Googled it. Well, I'll, I'll pose the question for our listeners. We're told, uh, well, Lockhart is relating this long, winding, bloviating tale about uh, screwing up all his remaining strength and performing the immensely complex homorphous charm uh, to basically turn the werewolf back into a man. And the question it raises in light of the next book in the series is if the homor- homorphous charm is legit, then why? Isn't it a, a sort of solution of choice? Um, maybe not as a replacement for uh, some of the other remedial things that uh, Lupin is doing to prevent or, or mitigate his transformations. But when uh, everything goes down at the end of book three and you've got experienced wizards who, you know, you would think would be in a position to step in and perform a charm that could undo the transformation. Mm-hmm. Matt, you had more on that? No, that's the exact question I was going to ask. Um, you just probably put it a little bit more eloquently than I would have. Uh, but yeah, I just think either is this a plot hole that she missed, she didn't think about, forgot about, um, because there's obviously something here and it was written in a book of his and we don't I mean, I guess, or I'm sorry, a book of hers. And we just don't know, or we don't think that the Wizarding World was going bananas saying there is no curse like this. So I'm just thinking, you know, why didn't they use this? In well, book three? according to Google, it is only a temporary fix. So I think it would have only been able to be employed the way you suggested, Trevor, in like book three at the end when Lupin had forgotten to take his Wolfsbane potion and was dangerous. And here, I think that this this werewolf was dangerous. And so whoever Lockhart is taking credit for probably performed this charm just to temporarily turn him back into a man. But it wouldn't work long term, according to Google. And the only thing out there is from like Wikipedia on Harry. So it's probably just somebody making things up. I'm not sure if that's mm-hmm. even verifiable fact, but. Well, I will say that. uh Well, Professor Lockhart says that the village will remember me forever as the hero who delivered them from the monthly terror of werewolf attacks. So he at least makes it seem like he fixed that problem, tied it off. It's it's done. It makes. Yeah. And I think that was the thing more than anything that piqued my curiosity was it sounds like Lockhart is presenting it as a once and for all reversal of the transformation that's effective now and into the future. Yeah. That's at least the impression that his narrative gets. Now we we know that Lockhart 
is an unreliable narrator par excellence. So it could be uh, that he's he's exaggerating drastically the impact of the homorphous charm and within the actual narrative universe of the Harry Potter world, this would not have been viable. But even as I think about it, by the time Lupin is transforming, there's actually, am I remembering correctly, that there's not an able, experienced wizard around? Only Sirius. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think Sirius say. is an able, experienced wizard. I'm not sure if at that point he has a wand. Well, you, you would know that he would know that curse being around. Lupin's I mean, friend, uh, yeah. Or, or yeah. yeah, I guess um, that charm, that, that spell. I mean, because he's known. That Lupin that, is a werewolf Yeah, that Lupin is a werewolf since they were children. Right. I mean, going in school. So, and that he would be coming to teach the class that he wanted to teach and be there with the students. There's no way that Snape didn't know about. Okay, it's not Snape, it's serious. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, well uh, Snape too, you did I say guess, serious. But yeah, Snape but is... I, I was, you said serious, but I was thinking Snape when you said it. Because um, Snape, for a brief period, shows up. He's there and he's trying to protect the children from a werewolf. Snape is unconscious. Am I just thinking about that? as far as the maybe the movie goes because in the movie he does like he sees the werewolf it's there and then i don't even remember in the movie happens. he does try to protect harry ron and hermione but in the book correct me if i'm wrong guys he's unconscious yes i think that's right he's uh, and it's harry that has knocked him unconscious right, right. well harry ron and hermione performed uh, like right. an the same time kind of blasted him backwards right yeah yeah but Sirius, I think, I think your same argument stands for Sirius. Right. I don't know if he has a wand, but he certainly knows that Lupin is a werewolf and should be able able to perform this, this spell. But I, I don't know. So Maybe either, <laughs> either there's a, a small plot hole at the end of book three, or, and this is where, you know, if I'm being a, a sympathetic reader, I would lean uh, Lockhart is stretching the truth and we don't have any uh corroboration that this is an actual charm anywhere else in the series of books or in the extra material that Rowling has published through Pottermore and other and other places so it, it may be that he's he's making it up or stretching the truth uh in a way Regardless, this is one of the pitfalls of creating a complicated magical universe in literature is that every spare detail can eventually come back to haunt you. I mean, if we're talking about book three, goodness, all of book three is a plot hole. Literally all of it. It's true. It's true. <laughs> when you introduce time turners, and the things get dicey. Map. Time things turner dicey. and the Marauders map for me will forever be problematic. But I, I wondered, um, why do you think Lockhart chose Harry to be the person or the student that reenacted these scenes with him? Was it an attempt to humiliate Harry so that he himself, Lockhart, could make himself feel more popular, more famous than Harry? Or was it a way to kind of put Harry down because he is more famous than Lockhart? Or was it more like his uh, his um, bringing Harry into the 
picture with him at Flourish and Blotts where it got him even more fame, like trying to form a camaraderie with him and Harry. What was his motivation? Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. I think I, I think it feels like Flourish and Blotts where he kind of brings Harry up to his level to, you know, be in front of the class with him. But everything that he's having Harry do is really embarrassing. Like he's, he's like you know, wrestled him to the floor and making him do the howl and like the piteous moan. And it's, it's, it's really funny. And I think it is humiliating in a lot of ways. Not that Harry is super like hurt by it because he doesn't really care that much, but um, you know, I think it, it maybe is a way to put Harry in his place and say, you know, I'm the hero here and you can pretend to be, you know, my sidekick. <laughs> Yeah, just, my my instinct was uh, option three. If it had been a poll, I would have picked. Oh, it's it's him just trying to get Harry's aura next to him. But listening to you guys, I think it uh, it could be that and one one of the other options as well. It reminds me of the sort of frenemy dynamic. Yeah, the person who's mean but in a nice way. Mm-hmm. Like they always say the right things, but in a tone that puts you in your place and you can never like actually pin bad motives on them because there's always a sort of an escape hatch. Like they didn't do the explicitly rude thing um, that would get them caught. And it seems like that there's that sort of dynamic here that uh, it's conceivable that Lockhart is actually playing favorites and showing favor to Harry by having him be the volunteer, but it's always in this demeaning role that sort of reenacts Lockhart's superiority. So, uh, yeah, I think yet again, the more we talk about Lockhart, the more sort of multi-layered and complex his character psychology can get. I just imagine being a 12 year old in front of my classmates having to enact this. And I mean, I didn't like to read out loud for fear of messing up a word. And I'm a nerd, like who loves to read, but I cannot imagine. I would have died of embarrassment if I had to do this. That happened to me once in class. What did? The word pelican in class, I read it as pelican (laughs) in front of the entire class. Okay, I'm going to one-up you. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to one-up you, but I have a funny one too. Uh I was reading The Outsiders. Uh-huh. in ninth grade and I read the word son of a gun which was all spelled together in lowercase astonifogan <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna try to one-up that but I can't yeah, uh, that was that that takes the cake I um in a college class because I grew up uh I don't know I just had never essentially had you know a lot of these old names from the bible like read out loud to me I just oh, always yeah. saw it read I pronounced Esau Isayu. <laughs> I thought each one of those vowels deserved its own time. Isayu. It's like four syllables. <laughs> oh, that's funny. No, well, I, I, I hear y'all though. I don't I don't know that I've got a funny story like that. I bet if I thought long enough, I could come up with something ridiculously embarrassing from middle school. All I know is that that sensation that you're the dread that somebody is going to call on me to do something in front of the class that might make me uncomfortable in any way would set me to a cold sweat in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As a, as a 12 or 13 year old, 
in middle school, that was, I mean, talk about praying hard that the teacher yeah. does not call your name. Yeah. yeah that was me. <laughs> well, I guess in that vein, moving on in the story, I mean, Harry is doing this because he has to play nice or he's trying to play nice, at least for this class period, because Harry, Ron, and Hermione have a question to ask. Um, so they, well, Hermione butters him up a little bit and, and maybe not, you know, maybe. Absolutely intentionally. Yeah, well, intentionally, but I also think that she really didn't like adding with ghouls. And so yeah, she is the best person to send it because she's not right? lying. What'd you say, Trevor? It's not just intentional, it's genuine. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. she, yeah, she's the best person for the job here because she's, she's really a fan. And so he signs their slip. He um, gives them permission to take out most potent potions. And um, uh, he signs it with a peacock quill, which Ron is disgusted by. And, um, and then he, you know, tells Harry good luck on the, um, on the match tomorrow. And also brings up the fact or the fib probably that he was a seeker and he was asked to try for the national squad, but he decided to instead dedicate his life to the eradication of dark forces. But if Harry ever needs a tip, he'd be happy to help him out. And he says, happy to pass on my expertise to less able players. That's Harry. Yeah. Okay. So two questions or two things about what you, that whole scene you just uh, said. So the peacock quill, I did just for fun do go to dictionary.com to just get what the adjective peacock, like what the definition is. And it's a vain, self-conscious person, person, which is perfectly appropriate. And also, you know, a peacock is just a really large, beautiful thing that like struts its feathers, which is Lockhart to a T. Um, and then do you all feel like this Quidditch brag was true because I feel like typically Lockhart sticks with unverifiable fact or things that he has purposefully used memory charms for so that if anybody did try to verify his facts, they are able to prove it. And this, this seems like something people could check up on. I, I don't believe this is true. Not even for a second. He's still so vague about it. I was asked to try for the national squad by who? And what you national know? squad? Yeah. And, and again, like it probably happened, you know, 20 years ago. And like, who, who's going to be able to actually go back and check that out? I mean, yeah. Harry, Harry, no, maybe if you told a reporter that and they went and they did some digging, maybe, but Harry, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I didn't buy it for a second. Also, yeah. the, the peacock quill. You know, has anybody ever seen a peacock, like the actual feather? Like those They're things, huge. those things are enormous. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he probably picked one of the smaller ones for his quill, but those things are huge. So that's, I don't know. I kind of visualized that and I was thinking of this huge, like floppy, you know. Yeah, feather. Feather that's on the tip of this or on the, the tail of this quill. Yeah, I think it's also interesting that peacock can be a verb as well. Wow. To peacock about is to display oneself ostentatiously. 
basically to strut around like a peacock. And so it's interesting. The symbolism there um, is, is pretty thick and on the nose. Yeah. Also, I think sometimes, you know, I, we give Lockhart almost too much credit because like what a bumbling idiot. Maybe he's just too concerned with himself, but it's obvious. And I think of like uh, Hermione trying to get um, the signature from like Professor McGonagall, like uh, she's obviously never been lying like this before. Her hands are shaking. She's kind of like stumbling over words, you know, and I mean, anybody would be able to to figure this out except for Lockhart, who's just, I don't know, it's so in touch with himself. I mean, I just found it a humorous scene, thinking of her kind of like shaking and, you know, not knowing what to do. Yeah. Also, that's how she always is in his class. Yeah. You know, like even when she raises her hand to answer questions, like her hand is trembling and she's just so nervous in front of him. It's not really different from her normal demeanor. So he doesn't catch it. Yeah, maybe that is. Uh, and yeah, is she right. nervous because she's lying, or is she nervous because she is approaching Lockhart like one on one, kind of? Um, so, yeah, that, no, that's how I read it. Was she was nervous because she was trying, she was actually lying through a teacher to get a book. That's that how they, I took it too. But, but then, you know, yeah, there is that double layer where he probably is used to that. I mean, he's got a, a lot of fans that are really nervous and excited to meet him. They're jittery, and maybe that's what he thought was going on. Yeah, that's an interesting observation there it'll be interesting to compare Hermione's sort of posture here with the person she becomes by the end of the chapter when she basically like drops her sunglasses and says let's roll right you know with the everybody else is afraid of breaking rules with the polyjuice potion and Hermione's like listen are we gonna do this or not (laughs) why is Ron revolted I just thought that was an interesting word choice. I mean, I understand peacock feathers are large and they're colorful, mm-hmm. but it just struck me as odd that of all the things that you might see around Hogwarts, potions class, other situations, the fact that, you know, but you'd be revolted by a peacock quill. I don't I think, think it's, it's because Ron sees right through him and yeah. it is so ostentatious. Okay. And it's like, this yeah. guy is not what he seems. And it would be like the equivalent of us looking at a celebrity who was using some sort of thousand dollar quill or pen to sign an autograph because he could. I mean, it's, I, I would think that that was ridiculous and maybe be revolted by it when they're. Yeah. It's really a commentary on, on Lockhart mm-hmm. and not on the quill. Right. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So they're, um, they get out of there. They're thrilled that they got the notes that they needed and they can't believe he didn't even look to see what the book was that they wanted. He just signed it because he just signs whatever you put in front of him, right? <laughs> and um, Ron said, that's because he's a brainless git. And I love that line so much. <laughs> but Hermione gets, of course, upset. And he's not brainless. But it's made funnier by hearing it in Rupert Grint's voice. Yeah. Because when he does those like characteristically British like slang terms, especially when he's upset, he just delivers it in such a funny and authentic way. So yeah, you can, it really, it leaps off the page 
in part because of his delivery of the line in, in the film. So then we meet um, Madame Pence, who is the, um, the library matron. And um, I, I looked into her name a little bit and I couldn't find anything real concrete. Um, Irma is her first name, which is just kind of like a ugly, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. Irma to me, it felt- um, Sorry to any Irmas out there. Yeah, sorry, Irma. Uh, it felt to me a little bit like a dowdy kind of name, anyway. And um, but Pence, and I couldn't, I couldn't find like a meaning for it. But what it reminds me of is those little pince nez glasses that you wear on your nose. And so that's what that's what it made me think of, like somebody who is old fashioned, and um, and is is reading a lot. And I think that makes sense for a librarian. But that's what I came up with for mannequins. Yeah, Eve, I mean, like the, those types of glasses seem to be very severe, but the word itself, pence, wince, like it's, it's a sound that almost makes you wince when you hear it. And she's a thin, irritable woman who looks like an underfed vulture. So everything about her character is feeding into this sort of caricature of the stodgy librarian that you would rather not talk to. Yeah, I, I had a, well, I had a different take on the name. Um, Irma, as I understand it, like comes from the old, like an old German root meaning like universal or, world. or, or worldly, yeah, world immense. And then pince sort of sounded to me like, like pinched or like small. So like the world made condensed hmm. and that made me think of books that's the library the world made small right that's um, I like it. so i actually thought it was a very fitting name for a librarian i did too um, just in, in a way. different way yeah in that way <laughs> uh in a positive kind of way um well that's a yeah. very nice name for her then <laughs> i like that i wondered though when it says that she holds up lockhart's note as if she was trying to detect a forgery do you think she can detect a forgery? Why is she doing that? It's like when you see a counterfeit, you know, 20 and you hold it up to see if the little thing is in there. What's she looking for? Yeah, I, nothing. There would be no way to tell. She sounds like she's a librarian who's been around the block. And, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of students that have come in with a forged signature. And But know. how is holding it up to the light going to reveal anything? Because... You don't know this, but part of new faculty orientation is submitting a handwriting sample to Irma Pence. <laughs> um, and she's, she's looking like the handwriting analysts that, you know, testify in court. She's looking for little wisps that indicate hesitation in one of the flourishes. It's a sure mark of a flourish. Uh, you don't, you Did don't, they sign under duress? You don't think that, they, that she has some way of like uh, that the professor is signed with certain quills? So that there's like a watermark automatically on the paper that they sign. So she holds it up to the, the light and can see, oh, oh, there's actually a stamp. There's like a right. magical stamp of approval. Um, yeah, well, well anyway, 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 she yeah. can't find anything. Well, wrong there, with it. there once was a watermark and that's why they don't get their parchment from Dunder Mifflin anymore. Oh, oh. yikes. <laughs> anyway, out there. <laughs> We get the book, which is um, large and moldy looking. Um, 
I, I get the feeling that they don't like a lot of these books are probably out of print you know like a lot of them are very old and gross like they just you know we're not going to get a new copy of this because they don't make this anymore nobody's publishing most potent potions anymore my impression was that a lot of these are not printed so much as handwritten and then bound well that's also a possibility i like that too i'll say Um, also this random fact from personal experience uh, my office and the my library used to be uh, in a basement space. And when we moved in, a couple weeks uh, after moving in and getting all of my books on the shelves, I noticed like a very light gray fuzz on the back of a spine. Turns out the humidity level in the basement was high enough that the leather of different book bindings started to mildew or or something like that and so that was our sign that a i needed to clean all of my books and b we needed a dehumidifier in that space and that was in you know a modern construction that happened to just be in an underground basement space that held humidity more than the upstairs space so if you're in a dank british castle when it's raining you know nine months out of the year I don't doubt that, you know, there's, there's going to be some issues with, with your uh, authentic leather book bindings and such. Wow. Yeah. Well, we take the book, we take the book to um, Myrtle's out of order bathroom because it seems like the safest place. We don't think that anybody's going to walk in on us. And um, it's a, it's a good, it's a good place to, to have some privacy, I think. And Myrtle is there, but she's kind of keeping to herself, crying in a stall. And they're like, we'll just do our own thing. We don't really interact with her here. Um, I but, still find that hard to believe, though. That I mean, there's that she still, wouldn't come out. And, yeah, there's yeah. somebody present. Well, I mean, that they're, re- they're breaking the rules here. And especially Hermione, who's smart enough. You know, she's the smartest kid, smartest wizard of her age. You know, I mean, that's what, that's what they say. She's a witch. I'm sorry. Yes, you're right. <laughs> she's a witch. But... Uh, you know, that Moaning Myrtle is there and remembers and can repeat any and everything that they yeah, say. Yeah, but Moaning Myrtle didn't even tell people that she was the one that was killed by the, by the basilisk. So yeah, is she really going to say know. there was some first year, second year? I guess in Hogwarts, there's no guarantee in any room that you're in that, you know, with invisibility cloaks and all kinds of stuff. I mean, yeah, Dumbledore is probably in the corner. Yeah, watching. you probably <laughs> just have to look at that. All right. Sorry, Barry, go on. That's okay. Um, so they can tell, it says they can tell, and it's clear from a glance why it was in the restricted section. It's got some really gruesome um, potions in it that have very gross effects and lots of illustrations to, t- to show you just what can go wrong um, if you're not doing it right. And uh, I'm not sure if, if these illustrations are supposed to be from this specific potion. Are, are these polyjuice potion? ill effects that are mentioned because it's got the two um some very unpleasant illustrations which included a man who seemed to have been turned inside out and a witch sprouting several extra arms out of her head are these supposed to be ill effects of polyjuice potion or are these just other pages they glimpse as they're passing it's other potions because she says some of the potions had effects almost too gruesome to think about Uh uh-huh 
So I got the impression that they were looking through other potions before coming upon the Pelagius potion, because then after that, she says, here it is. Yeah, she she found, found the page. Yes. Okay. Good, good, good. So yes. So this one is decorated. Yeah, you're right. This one's decorated with people halfway through transforming into other people. And they look like they're in a lot of pain. And Harry's like, I hope that's just like a, an artistic choice. <laughs> well, in the movies, I mean, I've only seen movies a handful of times, honestly, because I don't really care for them that much, but they kind of make it seem like it's painful right? you guys are giving me the death stare. I know. I'm unashamed. Just don't, you don't have to keep bringing it up, Crystal. Yes, it's a sore point. It's like <laughs> you get a scab. You just, we get it. You just keep we get it. it. Okay. So, anyway, yeah, I agree. I, I, it, well, I don't know. It, it looks uncomfortable in the movies, but Harry kind of is just like, he watches himself transform in the mirror and it, he can't believe like he's turning into something else. And it's just like the sensation of watching it, I feel like, that makes him uncomfortable. Okay. And like right after he takes it, it it's gross. And so, you know, they all think they're going to be sick. But beyond that, there, there doesn't seem like horrible pain um, okay. when they take it. Like it like would have been suggested by the illustrations. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about the ingredients for the potion. Did you all do any research on the ingredients? No, did you? Did you look stuff up? Well, I didn't look. Well, I did, but only two of them because I kind of, all of them sort of make sense to me for why they're part of the polyjuice potion because the bicorn is some sort of like beast with two horns. So all of them have this sort of duality about them, like not grass, like tying, not tying a knot, oh. tying things together. The leeches make sense because it's sort of sucking the essence out of another person. Um, what was the other one? A shredded skin of a boom slang. You're shredding the skin. Like this is a, a boom slang is a snake shredding your skin to take on the skin of another, all of those, except for flux weed. And what was the other one? Uh, lace wing flies. I'm not sure. Is there a duality there that I'm missing? Well, the name flux suggests movement and transformation. Oh, true. Yep. So just, it may just it be a sort of verbal cue in the name. Right. It's just like the flux capacitor. I don't know what that is. Oh, my goodness. Okay. What is that? Wait, it's, is that from, that's, oh, the movie where he goes back in time. Yes. What's it called? Back, back, to, back, back to the Future. Back to the Future. Yes. Okay, yes. I've seen it, and I just forgot about that. Okay, so then Lacewing Flies, is there a duality there that I'm not seeing? I'm looking them up now to see if I can it find seems anything. like they're at least she intentionally picked these ingredients, right? Because they all do have this sort of idea of two parts. But lace wing flies, I couldn't think of anything. But the flux thing you mentioned makes sense. So a, a very superficial Google search suggests that lace wing flies have larval stages and then mature stages. So the, again, the transformation from a larva into a yeah. mature lacewing fly uh, would involve a metamorphosis of sorts. Uh, so, you know, they're not, they're not calling for butterflies because this is not going to be beautiful. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, a, a, another insect that has a metamorphosis, that'll work. Okay. Well, I just yeah. thought that is also That is really one of the craziest things in the whole world. Have you ever seen... Have you guys ever seen 
like when they you know dissect a cocoon like cutting it up like and showing that whole process of going it, it is unbelievable because like the whole thing like you actually look inside the cocoon during the process the whole animal is like gone it's like it's like liquefied like right? it's like liquid yeah. it's like it's like the it's like the caterpillar went in there and then it it is gone and then it transforms into a butterfly it is mind-boggling it is just absolutely one of the craziest things you'll ever see um, i heard that that was originally part of uh, eric carl's the very hungry caterpillar but yeah, the publisher the decided stage. to mix those pages <laughs> that we're not sure the kids can handle that part eric yeah. <laughs> i i would have rather he go a good for call it. by the I editor mean, i don't know I, uh, yeah no <laughs> um, I think that would have been instilled a greater sense of wonder for sure. <laughs> and then we don't know what goes on here. <laughs> okay. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. The goo becomes a butterfly. <laughs> All right. Now so, back to the other yeah, stuff. Anyway, I, I love that crystal. I didn't really think about the ingredients themselves having kind of transformative properties. And they definitely do. Like as you're reading them out, they all make sense. Yeah. That's really um, fascinating. Can you remind us what you said? A bicorn? It's, it's some sort horn. of like cow mythical beast that has two very large horns that it shreds regularly. And I went down a rabbit hole that's probably not even worth mentioning, but this thing feeds on devoted loving husbands. <laughs> and there's some sort of there's some sort of I know, sorry, honey. There's some sort I know. of weird gentlemen of the HPBC podcast beware. Um, there's also some sort of uh, counterpart, female counterpart to it that feeds on uh obedient wives i don't know well i don't know if that's as, as big an issue so <laughs> what was the connection <laughs> what was the connection you were making we're though with with transformation with what you described Not about transformation the just that it's a bicorn so it has two parts two horns that it shreds and grows again okay so at least i could see why it was yeah part of this list of ingredients yeah right. thanks i'm glad you went down that rabbit trail that's really interesting i think you're you're pro I, like i'm a hundred percent behind that this is intentional and all of these ingredients are meant to be suggestive in some way yeah uh, also yeah. can we just say like how does someone like practically speaking go through and make this very complicated potion you know what I mean? Like, and actually have it become polyjuice potion in its finished form. Like who is taking the samples? How many, how many centuries or decades, you know, I mean, did this potion take just practically speaking? That's yeah. a huge rabbit trail. That oh, to, can, to develop, you mean? Yeah. All we can do is speculate, but I mean. Yeah. Did they know, just throw a bunch of stuff in a cauldron and hope for the best? I, I think of it kind of like chemists and, you know, like you just got to try everything out, you know? Well, I feel like though in book six, Slughorn kind of suggests that Lily Potter was a good potioner because she knew little things like, for example, Harry added peppermint to one of his potions that it was actually Snape's potion that he was reading out of that Half-Blood Prince book. But he said, that's like a spark of genius that your mom would know. And that peppermint would tend to counteract the occasional side effect of hiccuping or something. Oh my gosh. I don't know if I'm saying that all right, but all of that to say that I think potion 
potioners know the effects of certain ingredients and putting them all together would be kind of like chemistry or alchemy where something new is happening. Well, especially if like the, the magical ingredients have properties related to the entities that they come from, or in the case of fluxweed, the arbitrary name that it's given, yeah. you know, um, then you could sort of look for ingredients suggestive of the type of spell you're trying to, to cast with your potion. But I mean, I, I suppose Matt's question could go to anything. I mean, who, who first figured out how to do puff pastry? I mean, man, that sure. had to take a lot of trial and error. There, and there are so many more complex things that have been invented in the real world or developed across centuries in cultures. Uh, and so I think we can sort of put that one in, in the same sort of column for this magical universe as well and magical culture. Yeah. yeah. So we, um, the big, the bit of, of, uh, ingredient that really, um, is bothering Ron is that we have to put a bit of whoever we want to change into, into the potion. And Ron's like, hold up. What, what? I'm not drinking anything that's got crab in it. I don't want that, but that's, that's the only way to change into someone to decide who you're changing into is to put part of them, some of their DNA in the polyjuice potion, um, which is gross, but makes, makes a lot of, of good sense. And, um, and they also have discovered that, um, or they're, they're pretty sure that well, some of these things are going to be in the student store cupboard, but a lot of it, they're going to have to steal from Snape's private stores. And so the boys get hung up on this. Um, they're like, whoa, what are we going to do? Break into Snape's private stores? I don't know if this is a good idea. And then Hermione shut the book with a snap. Well, if you two are going to chicken out, fine. And just does this full like 180, like now we're in this. I'm, I'm committed. I'm going to do this. I am going to make this very dangerous potion. I am going to break school rules. We're going to figure out if Malfoy is the heir of Slytherin. Are you guys going to do this with me or am I doing it by myself? So I, I acted before like it was, you know, a whole chapter in between Hermione's metamorphosis here. It's three pages. She goes from trembling second year student uh, with an, a note uh, clasped tightly in her hand to absolutely determined that nothing's going to stand in her way, not even school rules that in this case, she's decided that justice demands that those rules be set aside temporarily. But, oh, sorry, Alex, go ahead. Just Justice, yes, but... Also, self-preservation. Well, because right? she's a mudblood. Yeah, right. I mean, That's like she, yeah. she knows there's there's a there's a um, she's more at risk than these exactly. than the two boys. Right, and, and so she is like, no, no, no. And we got to do this with Lockhart asking him for that note. Hermione was out of her element because it was breaking the rule, but approaching like a boy that she thinks is attractive. This is not Hermione's strong suit. This where it comes to like, 
how do I keep myself from getting harmed? I can brew a potion because I'm smart. This is, I know how to do this. This is how I can protect myself. So this is self-preservation. That's exactly what I said. I think Hermione is actually letting her facade down a little bit here. Like typically Hermione is very um, kind of no nonsense, but she's the one here with the most to lose. She is a muggle born and she can, she can be a victim of this basilisk. We don't know it's a basilisk yet, but I think she's scared. Do you? Because reading this, I did not get that sense. I read it and I, I heard confident, 